going to tell you a little story that I've never told my wife. And I've never told, um, you, I'm not telling the story of an ex-girlfriend, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I tell a story that I, a lot of people don't know. Uh, as a lot of you do know, I'm a big baseball fan. Um, I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Um, but there's a few, and I played baseball growing up, but there's a few times where I kind of wandered away from, from baseball and tried other things. And there's a chapter in my life where I tried BMX racing. Uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> don't worry, it'll, it'll get better. <clears throat> and I spent a lot of time doing it. I wasn't good at it, but that's it's just what I did. Uh, my brother and I both did it. Uh, we snuck into the track off of 12th Street whenever we could to go practice, um, and it was a lot of fun times. Never got caught, so maybe now I'll probably get thrown in jail now that I said that. But um, it was kind of weird going from a team sport, like a baseball team, to BMX. You go from like you know encouraging each other, being with people that can really pour into you and show you what you're doing wrong, to like a lone ranger sport <clears throat> where it's all up to you, all up to how you do. And uh, if you lose, you lose. There's nobody else winning. You're the only one. So needless to say, it was uh, important to practice. And we couldn't practice because they always closed the track off, and it was really annoying. A couple months into this new hobby, we found a neighbor down the street who actually made a course in his backyard, which was pretty cool. Um, in hindsight, it was a little bit weird because he was like 40, and there was always like <laughs> there was always high schoolers and like, Young adults hanging out there, so that was kind of weird. But anyways, I won't go there this morning. I'm not qualified to talk about that. Uh, but it was cool nonetheless. So we go down there, watch other people uh, race and watch other people do tricks and crazy stuff that we couldn't do and do stuff we wish we could do. Uh, there was this one time I decided, I'm going to go down there, show them what I'm made of. I'm going to go down there by myself uh, with my pudgy little middle school self um, and, uh, and try, to, try to prove myself as the awesome BMX racer that I was. I already had like two or three weeks under my belt. And I felt pretty good about myself. <laughs> so I'm in line. I'm looking at this track, which I never realized how narrow it was. Um, typically, BMX tracks are like 15 to 20 feet wide. So you can fit a few bikes in there so you could race. This thing was like three feet wide, uh, which incidentally was uh, coincidentally, sorry, about as wide as I was at the time. So it made it pretty, pretty interesting. But there, somebody who knew me in middle school was laughing. Um, <clears throat> But they were just barrels and plywood, like, nailed to this thing. And then they just draped, like, a piece of leftover carpet all the way around it. So it was pretty uh, shady, to say the least. So I'm waiting in line. I'm like, all right, I'm going to show everybody what I've got. And so I finally get up. I've got Eye of the Tiger playing in my head. I'm, like, getting all jacked up. Like, okay, I'm going to show them this is it right here. I'm pumping. I'm going. I'm going. I'm, like, I'm picturing myself doing, like, a triple backflip and, like, impressing everybody. Everybody just giving me praises. And I hit the ramp. I'm like, here we go. Face hits the carpet, handlebar goes into my stomach, I fall over sideways on the ground. So people looking from the other side probably looked funny, they saw a head and then nothing. But the carpet slipped out from underneath me, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, anybody ever had the wind knocked out of them before? It's like, oh yeah. Um, it's like the worst feeling of all time. It's like you wish you were dead in that moment, or at least you think you're going to be dead. Like, this is it, and this is how it ends right here. Um, so I sat there for a couple seconds. There was just dead silence. There was probably like 20 or 30 people watching. And I'm like, I, I wish I was dead right now just because of how terrible that looked. And so I finally caught my breath the best that I could. I, I'm, I'm bent down, curled up like this, and I stand up, and I'm like, I'm bending my body. And a sound comes out of me that is only funny to middle school boys. And it's so loud and audible that no one could miss it. Yes, I told a fart joke this morning. 
I don't know what happened, but when I finally came to, I don't know how long I was in the ground in which I was dead, when I finally, like, okay, I'm, I'm alive, I get up and release this sound that was not controllable at the time and really wished I was dead. All the silent kids that were watching were now laughing uncontrollably at me. And that day, flatulence destroyed my VMX career. I didn't have anybody there. I walked away. I was the only one. There's nobody there to say, hey, dude, don't close your eyes when you're riding a bike full, full crank at a ramp. I didn't have somebody to tell me, like, hey, dude, you know, don't, like, tense up every muscle in your body and just, like, forget all the fundamentals of what you've learned so far. I had nobody to walk me alongside and show me what it really meant to be a BMX racer. In a way, I was a BMX orphan in a weird sense. I was all by myself. I had nobody to walk me through it. This morning, I want to talk about orphans in a different way. I want to talk about spiritual orphans. Many churches separate these guys, the young adults in high school, from the rest of the church. And there's this massive rift, this, this, this black hole where, for some reason, high schoolers and college kids, for the most part, don't really intermingle with the rest of you guys. I'm going to talk about the problems of that this morning. I'm going to say why that, uh, why that actually is pretty detrimental to our health as a church. Orphan comes from the Greek word orphanos, which is also where we get our word bereaved, which means to be deprived of a loved one through a profound absence. I'm going to talk about that absence this morning. Kara Powell, the co-author of Sticky Faith, says this, For too long we have assumed that we do good youth or young adult ministry when we separate kids from the rest of the church. Of course, there are times when 6, 16, and 66-year-olds need to be on their own with folks in their same life stage, but we have swung the pendulum too far. We have segregated and believe me, this is not a verb I use lightly, students and young adults from the rest of the church, and it's hurting their faith. Our research shows that the more high school and college students are engaged in the overall life of the church, the stronger their faith. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that. I've never been part of something like that. It's something that is definitely missing. David Kinneman uh, is the president and majority owner of the Barna Group. And we, we talk about the Barna Group a lot. They do a lot of research and surveys and uh, interview thousands and thousands of people to put together these stats that are pretty eye-opening and pretty, uh, it's like a spiritual thermostat for the church. He came out with a book a couple years ago called You Lost Me, which really focuses in on the young adult and high school population and why there's like this major dropout problem. One thing they found after they did all this research, these thousands of people, from all of it, they found two things that were pretty eye-opening. Number one, High school te- uh, teenagers are some of the most religiously active Americans. So as much as we give teenagers grief for being teenagers, they're actually the most active at our church in general in America. This next one is pretty nuts. American 20-somethings are the least religiously active. From 18 to 20, how in the world do we go from the most active to the least active? And throughout this book, David goes and tries to explain, and from what their research and things they've found... Like, what, what's making this happen? Why is this happening? From the very beginning, he says this. The first arena, there's a disciple-making gap, is relationships. A majority of the young adults we have interviewed reported never having an adult friend other than their parents. Can the church rediscover the intergenerational power of the assembly of the saints? I think that's the question I'm going to leave you with this morning. I'm not done, but that's what I'll leave you with later. And this is easy. <laughs> I'm going to go through three major threats that we face if disciple makers, old, older, more mature disciple makers, when they don't pour into the younger generation. The first one is this. 
as we allow or we breed ignorance. There's been a history, at least for me growing up in church, of an incomplete gospel. When I'd hear a gospel presentation after every church service, every retreat, every youth group meeting, every single time there was an altar call, and it was always, hey, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? And of course, anybody with, in their right mind would be like, I kind of want to go to heaven. I don't want to be tortured forever. So most of us made decisions with that. We're like, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. This is the fire insurance gospel for those of you who aren't familiar. <clears throat> I honestly can't ha- count how many friends that I've seen come in the church door, accept Christ, have a life-changing experience, and they're gone the next week or two weeks later. The problem is that we pitch an incomplete gospel after the emotion wears down, after they, you know, I, I completely believe that it was, it's a real experience. I believe that salvation is completely free, but discipleship will cost you everything. And it's not something we really talk about when we present the gospel. It leaves these guys that had this emotional high, this excitement the week before. As soon as that fades away, like, I thought this was life to the full. Didn't Jesus say that we're, you know, going to have a good time? Why is, why is none of this really panning out the way that I thought it would? And most of them walk off the field altogether. There's nobody to tell me that if you choose discipleship, you will experience real life. But if you choose discipleship, you will experience suffering. And that's where life is found, ironically. Jesus said it this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Speaking of suffering, I am a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Um, I don't know if there's any other Tampa Bay Rays fans in the room. At least are still Tampa Bay Rays fans. Um, Not yet. That's coming up in a second, though. Um, Any other Rays fans, closet Rays fans? You can raise your hand. It's okay, Paul. It's going to be an interesting year. Um, If you don't know, the Rays decided to trade off their entire organization in the offseason and start off from scratch. But with that being said, we're going to give them another year or two to see what happens. But the Rays are just an interesting organization, a really cool team to root for. They're the underdogs. They're made up of these young guys that they bring up through their farm systems, through their minor leagues, and make like superstars out of them, and then sell them off to other teams. And don't really make... Actually, they don't even sell them. They trade them for people that you've never heard of and probably will never see again. So anyways, I'm, not, I'm trying not going to get mad about this this morning. Um, but anyways, it, it's still a fun team to root for because they're the underdogs. They're kind of scrappy, rough around the edges, and there's just something about them that's fun to root for. 2011. You throw that next picture up. Baseball fans, you know who this guy is? Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez. Check out these stats. 12-time All-Star, won two World Series championships, won a World Series MVP in one of those championships, most postseason playoff home runs with 29. He has the most postseason RBIs with 79, 78, sorry. Third most Grand Slams with 21, 14th on the home run list, 555, nine seasons with 30-plus home runs and 100-plus RBIs. This dude can hit the ball. This guy can play baseball. If you guys know Manny Ramirez, he's got one big issue. He's got a lot of issues, but the biggest issue is PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs, which actually make the rest of those stats make sense, but I wouldn't go there either. We got him in 2011. We picked him up. He was a Tampa Bay Ray, and uh, I was a little bit apprehensive because I was never a fan of Manny Ramirez, not a fan of cheaters. Um, Sorry, Manny Ramirez, if you're listening to this, that's what it is. Um, 
And there's other words that have been spoken. I won't use those. But I'm not a fan of that so much. And when you put on a raised jersey, a raised uniform, you're signing up for something that's really cool. You're signing up to be with the underdogs, to be with the guys that everybody likes to root for. There are no show-offs for the most part. There's nobody really trying to grab glory from anybody else. It is a team effort, and it's awesome. So when he came in 2011, I was like, okay, I'll give, it, I'll give him a fair chance. Went to a couple spring training games, watched him. It was, he was all right. He didn't do so well, but uh, we were paying him $2 million for that one year. So I'm like, okay, we got to cheer him on because um, $2 million is not enough motivation. Um, <laughs> goes through spring training. April 8th, 2011, retires. <laughs> spring training, March. April 8th, he retires for getting caught using performance-enhancing drugs. We knew it was coming. We, we didn't want it to come, but we knew it was. Didn't tell anybody, just got off the field. Instead of facing a 100-game suspension um, that he was supposed to, he just retires. Like, I'm not going to face the consequence. I'm out. Didn't even tell the Rays. The Rays found out through the MLB commissioner's office, which is just pretty sad. My point is this. When Manny Ramirez put on that jersey to be a Ray, or any MLB jersey for that reason, he didn't count the cost of what it meant to be a professional baseball player, and much less a Tampa Bay Ray. And as soon as stuff got bad, as soon as he stepped off the line, or as soon as something got hard, he just left. And he hasn't been back to the major leagues starting lineup since. He's now the Cubs problem. <laughs> He's just a batting coach now. When we offer a partial gospel, when we say, hey, the gospel of Jesus is this. He died for you. He loves you. If you accept him, you can go to heaven and be with him forever. What do you, you want to take it? That's a partial gospel. The entire gospel is this. Salvation is free and you can accept Jesus. But after that, if you want to follow him, it's going to cost you everything you have. Everything. And you're going to suffer. But you're going to find life in it. We need disciple makers to teach this to our young adults. I've seen so many young adults and teenagers walk off the field because they didn't understand what it meant. They didn't experience life through suffering. Second thing that's pretty bad, the second threat to a lack of intergenerational leadership is we let defeat kill us off. We let sin burden us so heavily. We believe that when we accept Christ and we say that, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, you paid a price that I couldn't pay on my own, the only way that I could pay it is by spending eternity in hell. I accept your payment so I can spend eternity with you. But for some reason, we have such a shallow view of sin. It's so weird. We have accountability groups. We have, uh, you know, most youth groups and ones that I've led, to be fair. Um, we're like, hey, guys, stop sinning. Do better. And smack them on the hand. And do, you know, see you next week. And that's, that's the depth of it. We've, with the incomplete gospel, the incomplete gospel presentation, we've also got an incomplete version of what sin really is. What we need is disciple makers to tell us exactly what sin is. Sin is counterfeit. Sin is funny money. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> I heard that the other day. I thought it was pretty good. It's, it's money that doesn't work. It's spiritual currency that will leave you in debt. And it's actually to your detriment to use it. Anytime that you indulge in something, you're, you're satisfying a desire that you know is contrary to what the Spirit wants, to what God wants. And you're giving yourself that money, you're paying with that, you'll be left empty at the end. Jesus said it this way, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
That's a complete picture. You're going to sin. You're going to fall. But you're no longer under the condemnation of sin. And from what I've found, the church in general is pretty bad at preaching the gospel of Jesus in those moments. We cast people out when they're caught in sin. We completely excommunicate them for the most part, when it's, especially if it's like one of the better, like bigger sins. And the fact is, Jesus already died for it. How come we're not showing the same grace? Amish culture has always intrigued me, especially living in Sarasota. We have a giant Amish presence uh, just down the street from us, over there, sorry. Um, <laughs> when Amish people turn 16 years old, teenagers turn 16 years old, they have a thing that's called rumspringa. Anybody know what that is? Anybody heard of it? Which literally means running around. These guys spend 16 years growing up in a super conservative lifestyle, um, completely rid themselves of the pleasures of this world, cars, uh, some of them bicycles, some of them phones, uh, you know, technology in general, sin. They just completely separate themselves. But when they turn 16, the parents allow the 16-year-olds to just go do whatever they want. All rules are off. All bets are off. You can drink. You can smoke. You can have sex. You can do whatever you want. I said that, sorry. You can do whatever you want, and there's no repercussions. And the whole point is for them to understand that sin is counterfeit and will not fulfill you. Sometimes it lasts for months. Sometimes it lasts for years. Guess what the percentage is of Christian or Amish teenagers that come back to the church? 80 to 90% come back after experiencing the world. I find that absolutely intriguing. This is the real picture of sin. It is counterfeit. If you are in Christ this morning, you are saved from it. You are saved from the punishment, of it, from the condemnation of it but you're still under the influence of it. When you're a young Christian, um, as I feel like I still am, but even younger, middle school and high school, it's so easy to get burdened down by, by this when you get an incomplete picture of it. It's like when I followed Jesus, I thought that things were going to get easier. I thought that the sin was going to be gone. I, they said that sin was defeated once and for all, and I'm good now. So why do I still struggle with this stuff? I mean, there's a guy in the front row here, Jordan Noten, who I've known for a very long time. He's my brother straight up in so many different ways. When I was a pudgy middle schooler and you were like a college sophomore at Moody Bible Institute, you hung out with me. You gave me a ride in your crappy little Honda CRX pocket rocket. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. You made me feel cool, even though I really wasn't in so many different ways. We had an open conversation of what sin is. Open conversation of, hey, dude, ease, the you know, ease off a little bit. I, I struggle with the same things. It's not all over. It took a mature disciple of Jesus to speak into my life. And now because of you, I'm able to speak into other young men's lives. I've sat in my truck so many times with different guys that are like, why am I struggling with this? Why? I thought this was going to go away. How come I still fall to sin? And they quote the words of Paul almost exactly. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 
And usually these young men are in literal tears at this moment. Like, why do I keep struggling with this? There's no hope. I thought this was defeated. What's the deal? And the church has fallen short of the very next verse that says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's a big fat exclamation point on the end of that for a reason. The Apostle Paul, who we quote all the time, has the same exact struggle. But for some reason, we give sin this shallow definition, this shallow identity. We can rest in the fact that it's not unordinary to, to struggle with sin, even to fall to it sometimes. So Paul says this. This is the realization. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. It takes a disciple maker. It takes someone mature in the faith that's been in the game for a long time to speak this into a young person's life. Left to ourselves, young disciples are going to fall off as soon as they step off the line. And walk off the field altogether. Those are the first two things. The biggest problem we have in our generation, these, what we call the millennials, by the way, it's our new name. I don't know if it's new, but it's what it is now. Um, is apathy. Apathy kills. Apathy is poisonous. Apathy permeates every single thing that we do. Even if we have a career in mind, even if we have a relationship that is really successful, we own a house, at the end of the day, our generation is focused on comfort. Not everybody, there's obviously exceptions to the rule. There are really mature followers of Christ that are young adults in this room right now. But for the most part, this is what drives us. Man, if I just get the right job, if I can do all this stuff, follow Jesus in the process, I can retire when I'm, whatever, 67 now or whatever it is now. And have all the stuff that I want. That's my end goal. Permeates everything. It's subliminal. And advertising in, in our humor and cartoons. I found this cartoon the other day. Um, it feels like <laughs> adulthood for us, at least for me, comes when you start having more responsibilities. It's not like, okay, I'm 18, I'm an adult. It's, I think, about two years ago when I, when I bought a house with my wife. It was like, okay, and I was already married. I'm like, I'm married, I have a house. And I have two dogs, so I know it's like to have kids. And so I'm an adult now. That always makes parents angry. They're like, he has no idea. <laughs> this man's leaving. He's angry. <laughs> but it's like we let adulthood just hit us. And we're like, okay, I guess I'm in now. I found this cartoon. It explains it pretty well. We'll have a voice from the back. Do the other voice. Hey, you know what I just realized? That I'm the best Meta Knight ever. No, I was just thinking, we might be functional adults. That's impossible. Think about it, man. We both finished school, and we both have real jobs. We're basically grown-ups. Hey, yeah, now that you mention it, I do exist in a constant state of anxiety about the breadth of my responsibilities. Yeah, me too. Ever feel like you're teetering on the edge of a total mental breakdown? Dude, only all the darn time. And like you look forward, and you can't imagine a future where it gets any better? Oh, yeah. And the only thing that keeps me going is how much worse it would be if I gave up. <laughs> I guess crippling neurosis is how you know you're really an adult. <laughs> Want to build a fort out of couch cushions? I would like that. <laughs> Obviously funny. Very true on a really sad, deep level. It's been also known as the Peter Pan Syndrome. 1966, an old lady by the name of Sylvia Farnham Diggory, 
Bree, I found the, the name of our first daughter. Uh, that's going to be it. <laughs> she defined it this way. A mistrust of others, a grasp of immediate pleasure, retreat from time, refusal to consider entry into the world of adult plans and responsibilities, refusal to grow up or to die. All of these would seem to define one who is indeed an inhabitant of Never Never Land. I don't know if you guys can, if you notice that or if you see it, that's what exactly what it is today. Paul says it even better. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. We get an amen from somebody. You know, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sounds pretty on point to me. I have a video of a commercial for you that sums it up pretty much in one word. The loudest voice in our culture. I have brought a beer commercial to church this morning. Um, just fair warning. Um, uh, you know, we've edited it down for content. We've edited it down so it's, it's, it's appropriate. But beer does exist. Um, it's okay to talk about it. Um, indulging is another, another topic for another day. But so just so you know, don't get caught up in the fact that this is a beer commercial and we're showing it in church. Listen to the responses of some of these young adults. This era during the Super Bowl, it's called the House of Whatever by Bud Light. You probably have already seen it. This is like an extended version they put up of all the different angles of it. Listen to the responses of some of these young adults. I just got selected for the Bud Light House of Whatever, and I'm so ready. I just found out that I was a winner. Four o'clock in the morning. We're about to hit you up, Arizona. Up for whatever. Giving my house for the house of whatever. Up for whatever. House of whatever. House of whatever. Everything you guys throw at us, we're ready. Euphoric, optimistic, everything you could possibly think of in one bundle. Ready to rock, baby. The perfect beer for leaving your comfort zone in another time zone. Comfortable. The chairs of our bachelors. Bachelor anniversary. Can you tell me about where you're from? The night is still young. The night is still young. The night is Feel like you're the luckiest man on the face of the earth. That's what I feel like right now. Carlton? I got one question for you. Are you ready to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah! 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 Best wake up of all my life. I can't even explain this weekend. It's unbelievable. I mean, come on, it's a life changes like that. I guess we're painting. I don't know. Who is it? I just saw Shaq. Shaq right here. That was the most random, amazing thing that's happened to me yet. 
the finishing step, and that's how you make a great glass of Budweiser, a great glass of Bud Light. This doesn't happen. It's like winning the lottery. It's your boy Diplo. I'm here at the house of whatever. Are you up for whatever? Happened tonight. It was epic. All cake all in my face. Couldn't believe it. It was wow. It was crazy. Insane. I've never experienced anything quite like it. Best weekend of my life. House of Whatever is magical. It's a dream world. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you're not to do whatever you want. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How do you like that contrast? That is the loudest voice in our culture. I'm telling you because I fall to it. And this whole group over here falls to it. Without you, disciple makers, without you, mature Christian who's been in the game for a long time, reaching across the gap, we will fall to that. How are young Christian men and women supposed to worship something that's invisible, something that promotes suffering when the house of whatever is calling for us? Those are sobering pictures in a lot of ways. I hope that it breaks your heart the way that it breaks mine now. The Peter Pan syndrome is bad enough, and it's got its own negative consequences. But there are other voices that are out there that are calling for our youth. When we're promoting the house of whatever in America and comfort and pleasure at every corner, here's another voice that we see. I don't do this for shock factor. I don't do it to say that this is the way it's all going to end up. But you think about they're raising children in the Middle East, ISIS, to be warriors, to commit atrocious acts, barbaric acts. If you've ever read the news in the last six months, this should shock you. 20,000 people have traveled to the Middle East to be a foreign fighter. There are women now, young women, traveling there so they can be impregnated by holy warriors so they could have the next generation of jihadi warriors. This guy is 17 years old from Australia. He's like a big part of this one militia. You guys want to know the average age of the people that are joining this fight? 16 to 25 years old. And they've got social media. Somehow they're able to get through some, for some reason, we haven't shut it down. I really can't even speak on that. Um, I don't know why. But the communication system is, is incredible, how they've got these guys that literally sell their lives away and come fight for Allah. 
Anybody recognize the name Mohammed Mwazi? There's this picture right here. Otherwise known as Jihadi John, who's been responsible for the most recent beheadings and executions that have been found all over social media. Anybody know how old Jihadi John is? Turns 27 this year. I turned 27 last month. This should be such a massive wake-up call. Our culture is not even close to this. We're actually helping this. We promote the house of whatever. We promote and we, we perpetuate the problem of comfort and just making sure we get our own so we can retire, so we can be comfortable, so we can provide for our families, which is all well and good. But when we put that above our calling Christ to be a disciple, to give everything and to suffer, and that's not the very first thing and all things don't flow through that, apathy will take us down a really scary road. We talk about spiritual warfare being subtle, like my mic ringing, feeding back, and you know your alarm clock didn't go off this morning and you couldn't get here on time. This is really obvious spiritual warfare in the scariest, most extreme sense. Islam is promising paradise. If you go over there and die as a foreign fighter, you will go immediately into paradise. Otherwise, you're left wondering if you did well enough to get in or if you did enough evil to not get in and be eternally tortured. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. ISIS is acting on this. How come we're not? This is spiritual warfare. Why aren't we raising up young warriors Not to fight a physical battle, but to fight a spiritual battle. Shouldn't we? Here's the good news, guys. We represent the victor. We represent the infinite. We represent the alpha, the omega. We represent Jesus Christ this morning. We represent the author and the perfecter, the Lord of all, the one who's going to come in and save us at the end of the day. We represent the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus, higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant in the trial and the change. This one thing remains, that your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me. This is our message we're supposed to be throwing. John Eldridge explains this deep call that we have in Wild at Heart. A man must have a battle to fight, a great mission to his life that involves and yet transcends even home and family. He must have a cause to which he is devoted, even unto death. For this is written to the fabric of his being. That is why God created you, to be his intimate ally and to join him in the great battle. Church, we have everything we need. We're on the winning side. And there are people that are giving their lives away to do the most atrocious, ridiculous things just so they can earn favor with God. We need you. I need you. These guys over here need you. And I hope after the end of this day, the end of this message, you guys realize that you need us. Here's an up note for you. This is the love of Jesus realized. The story of another 26-year-old, three days older than Jihadi John. Her name is Kayla Mueller. Also in the news. This is her picture. You may have seen this circulate around the news. She just died as an ISIS hostage. She went over there a couple years ago to go 
help children, help families that have been displaced by the war in Syria. Before she left, she wrote a note to her father in 2011. Listen to this excerpt. I find God and the suffering eyes reflected in mine. I can barely read that and not cry. If this is how you are revealed to me, this is how I will forever seek you. I will always seek God. Some people find God in church. Some people find God in nature. Some people find God in love. I find God in suffering. I've known for some time what my life's work is, using my hands as tools to relieve suffering. 22 at that time, I think. Her last letter um, that's also been circulated around the news to her, to her family while she was in, in uh, prison. Tell me this doesn't sound completely reminiscent of the Apostle Paul. I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I've come to a place and experience where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else. By God, by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. This girl was a poet. I've been shown in darkness and light and I've learned that even in prison, one can be free. I am grateful. I've come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. I pray each day that if nothing else, you have felt a certain closeness and surrendered to God as well and have formed a bond of love and support amongst one another. That's so convicting for me. Such a high view, such, a, such an understanding of what it means to suffer for Christ and how she found life in that. And right now she's celebrating her life with Christ. Jesus said, I pray, Father, that all of them would be one. She says, the last part of her letter, felt that you felt a certain closeness and surrendered to God as well and formed a bond of love and support amongst one another. If this isn't a picture of the perseverance of Christ's love, I really don't know it is. 21 young Egyptian Christians were executed a couple weeks ago. What a lot of people don't know is right before they took their last breath, they proclaimed the name of Jesus on this video. (laughs) And ISIS didn't edit it out for whatever reason. God knows. These 21 young Christian men are having a party right now. I hope that gives you chills thinking about that. These guys are experiencing the greatest reward that anyone could ever imagine. I know without a shadow of a doubt that they are. Here's a visual. This morning, if you're a young catalyst, if you're an ACK group leader or a uh, protege to be an ACK group leader or you're uh, adult leader uh, in, in, or a high school, sorry, young adult leader in our high school ministry, uh, if you're under the age of 35, please stand up right now. If you're a leader, if you're an ACK group leader, a catalyst, you can clap for that. That's all right. You can stay standing for just a second. These are the ones you guys need to look to. Take a good look. We just added a value to our church. You guys can sit down now. We just added a value to our church. So we value intergenerational leadership. We have purposefully called these guys out, trained them, and continue training them to put them in a place of leadership because you're not going to be here forever. They are next. Take a good look. Timothy, Paul says to his protege, guard what has been entrusted to your care. 
Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Young leaders, guard it. Adults, disciple makers, guard them. We often like to ask the question, am I willing to die for my faith? After seeing, hearing these stories and seeing these lives, I think we should ask ourselves, are you willing to live for your faith? And by the way, there's still hope for Jihadi John. God changed the heart of a man named Saul, who was a terrorist, by the way. <laughs> this is the big picture. I hope you can see it this morning. The stakes are so incredibly high. It's ridiculous. What are you going to do about it? I'll get back to that. Students, you're not off the hook. This isn't all their fault. It, com- it comes up to us too. We know, I know that when I'm talking about comfort and apathy and, you know, meh, you guys relate to that one phrase. <laughs> I'm just like, well, who cares? You know, we'll figure it out. Even if you have a career or college ahead of you and you're ready to go, there's still that taste of it's not that important. Apathy, pleasure, comfort is a disease. It is a plague. It's like leprosy. Have any of you ever seen leprosy? I know you hear about it a lot. We talk about it in the Bible, Old Testament times. But leprosy is a disgusting disease. We brought some pictures for you this morning. I'm just kidding. You know. <laughs> Everybody's like, I hate this shirt. <laughs> leprosy can lead to infections, can lead to other crazy, it's a crazy skin disease that can ultimately lead to death. I'm telling you this morning, guys, apathy is leprosy. And you have to identify with it. If you're sitting here this morning, young adults, anybody for that matter, if you're sitting here this morning saying, this doesn't apply to me, I don't really care, I'm just here for the music, I'm just here for uh, the guy and say, I'm just here to check off church, you have the disease of apathy. And I promise it'll lead to a to death in some forms. Even if you're sealed in Christ and you're bound for heaven and you know him on a personal level, you will die in certain ways if you let apathy rule your life. There's been a verse that's been stuck in my mind for like over a year and I can't get past it. Second Kings chapter 7. Samaria has been like war-torn. Samaria is besieged by famine. They're, the entire ground beneath them has just fallen apart and people are just in shambles. There's these four dudes with leprosy that are waiting at the gate, that are literally just waiting for their death. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? They're ravaged by famine and war. They're sitting at the entrance of the city, plagued with leprosy. I'm telling you, we, leave, we live in a country that is plagued with apathy and comfort. We're in a spiritual famine, and we have so many young adults that are sitting at the gate completely riddled with this disease. Many Christians, by the way, including myself, I fight this. Things are not okay the way they are. These four men knew that they were on a path toward death, and it took them waking up and saying, okay, I know we're dying. Why should I stay here and just wait till I die? Let's do something. I don't have time to go into the rest of the story this morning, but it's really cool. God does some incredible, miraculous things where they rout an entire army out of Samaria. But it took that realization. They had to stand for something. They at least had to stand for their survival. Church, if we don't stand and support our young adults and our high schoolers, we will fall and die to apathy in certain ways. Young adults everywhere, especially in the Middle East, are fighting for something, 
something that's got a lot of dead ends. If we don't stand for Christ, we'll be swept away by apathy. So church, your responsibility, how do I do this? You ready for the answer? Prepare yourself. Join an act group, which I know is like the coolest, like that's exactly what you wanted to hear this morning for those who have not committed or those who are in and aren't really feeling it. Listen, stop looking at act group and small group and church ministry is just a thing to check off your list as a thing to do so we can just get it done. You start rubbing shoulders with a seasoned warrior in Christ. You start watching their lives. You start living alongside them and letting them pour into you. You pour into them. You will become a seasoned warrior yourself. Here at 360, we don't have a college ministry. Um, that may change, but personally, I don't believe in college ministry. Um, you turn 18 years old, you're an adult. I'm sorry. <laughs> we allow 18-year-old high school graduates to join an act group. And there's a couple in this room that are part of them, and it's life-giving to sit across the table from somebody who's been in the faith for a long time. There's a lot of wisdom to be had. And when we sit in the same room with just high schoolers or just college kids, and we try to pour into each other, it only goes so far. (laughs) We need you guys. If you're new here this morning, uh, lean in. This this video I'm going to show you is is the crux of it all. This is the answer. I'm going to tell the story of my friend Daniel Brown. And many of you know him, plays drums for us. Incredible, incredible young guy. I think he's 23, almost 24, something like that. Daniel grew up the same way I did. I grew up in church. I know all the answers. We were both plagued with apathy and comfort. We know all the verses. We were supposed to carry our cross daily, that the first shall be last and last shall be first. When it came down to actual application, it was like, no, I'm good. It took Daniel waking up to his disease to change. Please listen into this video. My name is Daniel Brown, and I am in the process of going from a quiet and seclusive type to a seeker, I suppose, of God through others, which I didn't even know was a thing until recently. (laughs) I spent the a good two or three years of my life doing nothing. I made some money and I spent it on Dr. Pepper. <laughs> but that's all I did for those two or three years. I was in a very comfortable routine of work home, church home kind of deal. I cared about my family and I cared about my friends um, but other th- other than that I really didn't care about anybody looking back at my life um, it was really just boring like there was no like meat to, to what I was doing and I had no idea at the time that was how that I was missing so much. My early years as a Christian were good. I knew all the rights and wrongs, but 
think that was it. Like at the time it was comfortable. Um, but what I'm learning is that being comfortable is not interesting at all. After being at 360 for a certain time and hearing the relational push that goes on there, it just started to, I guess, kind of put an impression on me that I didn't even realize I was having. I was fed up with the monotony of just life as it had been going. And so I wanted to step out of that and getting another human being involved seems like a way to get me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> you just look at Jesus's life and how he lived and he wasn't just building a freaking chair and then going home. I think he would be mingling way, way more than any of us want to mingle. He would be like the bluntest dude in terms of areas where we need to hear blunt things. When Danielle came into play and I'm now engaged, even with her there from a iron sharpening iron kind of point of view, it, it's not enough. Like I need someone on the outside to say, you're doing this wrong in this way with Danielle that if I heard that same thing from Danielle, it probably wouldn't go over so well. When I, when I joined into the wall, the first thing I noticed was iron sharpening iron in a way that I hadn't ever seen before. Um, it just set, a, set an example for me that you can change your ways. You're not stuck in a in one particular spot. And if somebody's there alongside of you to actually tell you that and not like sugarcoat anything, you can actually get somewhere. Um, my impression of Daniel when he first started here was someone who needed help. Here's a kid, 21 years old, about to get married, understanding that he needed Christian men to influence him moving forward. If he's gonna make something out of his life that is going to be imitatable for his children, he needed to be around strong Christian men. And I thought that was just so applaudable because you don't see that in today's society. It's lacking. It, uh, I've learned a whole lot more in just this last like year and a half um, than I did in my entire life before because I was actually involved with people. What I'm learning from Daniel is that, man, brutal honesty and that ability to communicate uh, a sense of, hey, I need this, uh, and, and me having the ability to pour it back into him, man, it's just great. He's, an, he's just an empty vessel that I can take what I learned from my father, uh, even on his deathbed, and, and pour it into a kid who's just starting out that needs such godly wisdom and influence in his life so that his children on his deathbed are gonna look back and say, yeah, he poured it all into me and I'm blessed because of it. If I'm 
if I'm just comfortable all the time, what is that? What good is that? Like, that's great for me, but it's not about me. And that's, I'd heard that all my life that the last shall be first or whatever, but who wants to be the last? No one ever like does that. And I just finally came to the conclusion that it's not like being comfortable isn't the greatest thing in the world. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Paul. You guys can clap for that. If you're new here this morning, that is the end goal. That is the little red circle we talk about. You're talking about a, a guy who grew up in the church and knows every answer. One of the most brilliant people I've ever met, to be honest. And those of you who know Daniel would agree. And he's like, I don't actually really understand this. Like in application. If you happen to be in one of our act groups, our small group ministries, and you know of someone who's under the age of 30, 20-somethings, I'm going to wrap you into that. Pour into them. Ask them about their lives. Pray for them. Meet with them one-on-one. Paul and Daniel happen to go through our one-to-one discipleship track we call exchange, and the life that's coming out of it is incredible. There's a disciple-maker making a disciple who's going to make Sorry, it's a disciple-maker making a disciple-maker. Don't let us fight this on our own. We need spiritual fathers and mothers so badly. If you're under the age of 18, if you're in high school, come hang out with us on Wednesday nights. We are intentionally pushing you guys to this, by the way, if you didn't know that. This is my first message as high school pastor, so this is something that's been very close to my heart. This is something we're strategizing, we're working behind the scenes to make this a reality for you, mature Christian disciple, to become a disciple maker and pour into some of these guys that need it and show them what it means to suffer for Christ and the life that's found in it. In Paul's last letter to Timothy, we find some pretty awesome words. He always called him his dear son or his true son in the faith, his spiritual father. Follow this model. He says this, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Before we go, we like to spend intentional time in prayer. Here, we have a few minutes left. And we didn't do it on purpose earlier because I want to do it now. If you are under the age of 35 this morning, I'll, I'll stretch it out to that. Please raise your hand and raise it high. There should be a lot more in this service than the first service. Keep them up for just a second, guys. If you're near one of these guys, and this guy in the front row I know is younger than 35, raise your hand. If you're close to one of these guys or girls, please, we're going to pray for them right now. If you want to shuffle around and sit next to somebody you feel called, you need to pray for that person specifically, feel free. But we're going to spend a few minutes praying specifically for this next generation. Is that all right? Everybody good with that?
All right, let's pray. Reach out a hand toward whatever direction or put a hand on them if you're close. Jesus, we give you these young adults, these high schoolers. We pray for their hearts because we know that you want every single bit of it. We know that you want the next generation to rise up, to break every chain like we sang this morning. God, we long to see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith, a near revival, stirring as we pray and seek. These songs that we sing, God, let them penetrate our hearts this morning as we lay our hands on these young adults. Jesus, we pray for the disease of apathy and this, this comfort that permeates every single bit of what we do. God, we pray that you elevate our minds to the higher things, to your love, to the love that's found in suffering, the joy that's found in loss. As much as we can't make sense of it in our own human minds, we pray that you would make it make sense in our actions. Jesus, I pray for courage for the young adults that want to stand up and fight for something that matters, the fight for you, the infinite, the perfect, the ruler of all, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who wins in the end, the one that we call Father, the one that we call Savior, the one that we call lover of our souls. Help us fight for you and have courage to do it. I pray for this church, Father, that we can reach across this gap, this dropout gap. You would give us the courage to speak in their lives and we would have the humility to hear from them. God, that we would pour into each other and we would learn from each other and become one the way that you prayed for us in the beginning. We commit this ministry to you. We commit these lives. We commit our hearts to you. And pray that you continue to elevate our minds to your will and to the battle that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.